Hannah. And I'm Matt Hannah. And this is Horror Hour with the Hannahs. Where we talk about all your favorite scary movies. And this week we are talking about one of our favorite scary movies, Hereditary. One of our favorite. We say that about everything we watch. I know, but like <laughs> this one is like for real, for real. Oh yeah, it's a good one. Hereditary is a 2018 horror film written and directed by Ari Aster in his feature directorial debut, starring Tony Collette, Alex Wolf, and Millie Shapiro. It made over $82 million on its $10 million budget, becoming A24's highest grossing film ever at the time, a record that was held for four years until the release of Everything Everywhere All at Once. And that sold the record? Fuck, dude. I didn't look that uh, well, up. I just assumed. I was looking <laughs> up the... Uh, this I'm, one. I'm saying right now it sold the record. I'm pretty sure it does. Well, what, else, what else would have made the same amount of money? Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good point. Something I thought was really interesting is that this was critically extremely well received, yet audiences polled by CinemaScore gave the film an average grade of... Guess. C. D minus. D minus. Yeah, well, no, D plus. I'm a liar. I'm a liar. Audiences don't know what's good for them. I think that's like legitimately insane behavior. There's Um, actually a lot of reasons why that happened, though. There was a lot of discussion about this. It's because there were three types of people that saw the movie, right? So there were people that liked scary movies, saw it, and thought it was scary and liked it. That was mm -hmm. probably one third. There are people that uh, like scary movies, saw it, and thought it wasn't scary and dumb. I so they gave can't it a bad. Process that. We saw it with a friend that felt that way. Yeah, and I can't process yeah. that. Like, and I then don't there understand. are people that probably don't like scary movies that saw it and were scared by it and like really disturbed. unsettled and disturbed. So they also gave it poor reviews. So there you go. Only like thirty three percent of people would have been for this movie, right? By if I if I'm generalizing all those, then that would make sense. You'd get be in the D range. But yeah, I, I would guess. say that it did its job for over 60-something percent of the people, almost 70%, in being scary. Yeah. And unsettling and disturbing. So that's why you can't trust audience scores. The Witch and It Comes at Night had a similar thing where, like, critically, it was acc- they were acclaimed and then audiences yeah. gave them booty Yeah, ass. audiences are idiots. I'm sorry. I side with the critics most of the time. So you did mention that we saw this in theaters. Yeah, we did. I would like to talk a little bit more about my experience because beyond just seeing in theaters with you, um, I had originally heard about this movie because a trailer was played in Australia before a PG rated family film. And I remember this. (laughs) Yeah. So it was shown to family audiences and like over 30 children, which created a panic in the Australian theater. So that was the first time I heard about this movie. Uh, And then I heard it was scary as fuck. And I was really nervous about seeing it because I really felt like this was going to drive me absolutely insane and I'd never sleep again. And um, before we saw it in theaters, I read the entire plot. Because I thought it was a good excuse. Because to I was not planning on seeing without you. Yeah. Yeah. And so I thought if I read the plot, I had an excuse to not go. But then I was so confused because this story really is kind of like two different sto- like there's like two different films kind of in this one film that tie together mm. very well. And I was really fucking confused by that. So then I still saw the movie. And I remember you telling me that and it made me more excited to see it because I thought the trailers were incredible and I was yes, really excited. They were. We didn't know who Ari Aster was at the time. So. Well, because it was his feature film debut. So of course we didn't. Yep. We watched, hey, but we've now watched, well, we still haven't watched Bo's Afraid, so we yeah, suck. So but we, we did watch his student thesis film and it was which, good. Yeah. It was really disturbing. There's a lot to say about that. I am really intrigued by some of the discussion about how it could be seen as problematic, actually, his thesis, but we don't really need to get into that now. Yeah. Um, I Go watch it. It's on YouTube. I forget what it's called. And then let but... us know what you think and if we should do, like, a mini-sode on it. But, um, yeah. So, we both had seen this movie before. 
This is our third time watching I've, it. I've no, I'm more than three. Maybe it's third my time. Third maybe time. third time watching it together. I've probably watched it when else five did you times. Watch I watched it with my mom. Oh, okay. I'm sure, I was like, hey, watch this movie. Okay, I've seen it three because it took me a while after the first watch. Yeah. I think I didn't watch it again until 2021. I need to say, as a recommendation, the best recommendation we can give this movie is after Hannah saw it, she was like, I never want to see that movie ever again. Ever again. And we kind of did like, have the three camps of people. Disturbing. You were like, I never want to watch it again. So you liked it, but a lot of people felt that way and gave it a bad score. I really enjoyed it. And Noah, our friend who maybe is listening, thought it sucked. Noah, he- I just want you to know you still have some of the worst opinions of any person I know. <laughs> I hope he's listening. I'll tell him we shot him on. We shot him on. Um, he'd be great to have on. Yeah, he'd be a little bitch just like Jason normally is, <laughs> I yep, would true. guess. Noah and I had this Jason beef. Farkas. The hater. The hater. Yeah. Jason the hater. Yeah. Um, yeah, Noah and I had this beef in college where if we disagreed on an opinion, I would just tell him he was factually incorrect. And he'd get really mad. And he would get really mad because he's like, that's called an opinion. And I was like, yeah. I mean, well, you have the wrong one. <laughs> yeah. First of all, you, you're still wrong. But two, yeah, I know the difference, honey. Um. Well, after all of that preamble, let's get into the damn thing and do our 15-second summaries. Oh, okay. I'm down. I have... This is going to be bad. I just know it. I'm not going to do a good job. So I'm going to make you go first, as per usual. Okay. Go. A lady who makes puppets uh, gets puppeted by a group of people and and her whole family become puppets. That's all I'm going to say. Nice. They're not puppets. They're miniatures, but easier way to explain. Okay, I'm so fucked. Okay, 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 I'm nervous. Are you ready? Yeah. Go. A weird girl who likes to decapitate birds got the death she wanted by being decapitated by a pole, and then her mom really struggles with her loss, and there is cult stuff. That's it? I don't know. Actually, she's a boy. In the wrong body. Yeah, she's a boy in the wrong body. You're right. Wow, LGBTQ theming I didn't think about. Yeah, no, I thought about, <laughs> yes, yeah, very much so. Um, I don't know if I can do it justice to yeah, no, talk about I that part, I certainly can right now. Um, but no, Maybe I mean, we, can, we can touch on it. episode, but... No, when we get to themes, uh, we, can, we can do a quick touch on it. Yeah, I didn't really process that through. Um, there is lots of Hannah Hides and Screams this week. This is like... Did I yell at all? No, you screamed. This is like a record We probably did that when we saw it in theaters. This was another one I feel like you were ready to walk out on in the theaters. Yeah, I was not vibing. Um, So I had six Hannah Hyde count. Damn. Um, When... uh, What's her name? Charlie cuts the bird's neck off. When Charlie gets decapitated, when it later goes back and shows Charlie's head in the road covered in bugs. There's another scene where we see bugs all over Peter. You don't like bugs? No. Uh, When Charlie's spirit was coloring. Yeah. That really freaked me the fuck out. There's a couple good jumps in this one, too. Uh, When Charlie was in Peter's room. And then when Tony Collette is on the ceiling when Peter sees his burnt dad. Lots of spoilers since I haven't done the plot description yet. Oh, yeah. Well, it's <laughs> fine. Um, screams. I had five. <laughs> um, Do you actually go through? I didn't realize. We haven't had this many that you actually go through and talk about where your screams I were. haven't. In the past, necessarily. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. But I actually wrote all of them down. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, something that really disturbs me in this movie is every time Charlie goes... I was going to say, I was worried you'd pick the mic doing that. Her clucks are goddamn horrifying to me. I don't know why. I used to do it all the time. Yeah, it was fucked up. Uh, So there's like one scene where, is it Pete? No, it's um, mom's driving, Annie's driving, and all of a sudden you just hear. (laughs) And holy balls, that was awful. Um, and then most of the rest of my screams were, like, towards the end when, like, Tony Collette is, like, lurking in his bedroom, and then when Tony's on the ceiling, and then when there's naked people just randomly in the corner, and then when Tony's, like, piano wiring her neck. So the end really just got me a lot. (laughs) The end is really scary. (laughs) This movie does, and I've used this term a lot, but, like, accelerates, I think, in a really good way, and it's paced well, where it's, like... 
kind of like building up to this like insane finale mm-hmm. um, with a lot of like kind of slow tension. And I like it other than uh, some bombastic scenes like when when Charlie loses her head. Yeah. But uh, all right. Let me do the full plot read and then let's yeah, talk I more skipped about it. it. My bad. It's OK. You're fine. I'll speed read once again. Do it. All right. You ready? Mm hmm. Okay, miniature artist Annie lives with her husband Steve, their 16-year-old son Peter, and their 13-year-old daughter Charlie. The family attends the funeral of Annie's mother, Ellen, at which Annie is surprised at the number of uh, mourners in attendance. She attends a bereavement support group revealing her troubled childhood and that she and her mother had a fraught relationship until Charlie was born. Meanwhile, Steve receives a phone call telling him that an unknown perpetrator has desecrated Ellen's gravesite, but does not reveal this to Annie. Peter's invited to a party, and Annie insists that Charlie go with him. At the party, Peter leaves Charlie unattended. She eats some chocolate cake with walnuts in it and goes into anaphylactic shock. Peter drives Charlie to the hospital. She leans out the window for air. Peter swerves to avoid a deer lying in the road, and she is decapitated by a telephone pole. In shock, Peter drives home and leaves Charlie's headless body in the backseat of his parents' car, which Annie discovers the following morning. Following Charlie's death, Annie becomes resentful towards Peter. A traumatized Peter drifts through life in a daze, and Steve tries to continue life as normal. Annie befriends a support group member named Joan. Joan teaches Annie to perform a seance to communicate with Charlie's ghost. Later that night, Annie convinces her family to attempt the seance. Objects begin to move and smash, and Peter's terrified when Annie is possessed and speaks in Charlie's voice. Peter begins to be haunted by supernatural forces, and Annie suspects Charlie's spirit has become vengeful and demonic. When she sees images manifesting in Charlie's sketchbook threatening Peter, she throws the book in the fireplace. However, her clothing goes up in flames at the same time as the book does. Her clothes only stop burning when she pulls the book from the flames. Annie goes through her mother's old belongings and finds a photo album that shows Ellen to have been queen. Queen Lee, the leader of a coven, and Joan, one of the acolytes. Another book describes the demon king Payman who wishes to inhabit the body of a male host. The summoner of Payman will receive wealth and rewards. In the attic, Annie finds Ellen's rotting, decapitated body. While Peter is outside his school, Joan appears and attempts to expel his spirit from his body for the demon king. In class, Peter is taken over by an unseen force and slams his head against the desk, breaking his nose. Annie informs Steve of her ties to Charlie's sketchbook and begs him to burn it, as she cannot bring herself to take her own life. When he refuses, she snatches the book from him and flings it into the fire, only for Steve to burst into flames instead. Naked cover members begin gathering, uh, both inside and around the house. Peter wakes after dark and finds his father's charred corpse, then quickly notices one of the cover members in a nearby doorway. A now-possessed Annie then chases him through the house. He attempts to hide in the attic. Annie follows him and then beheads herself with a piano piece of piano wire um peter jumps from the attic window a glowing orb enters and reanimates his body now displaying charlie's mannerisms he follows annie's floating headless corpse into the charlie's treehouse where joan and other members of the coven as well as the headless corpses of peter's mother and grandmother are worshiping a mannequin with charlie's crowned severed head placed on it joan removes the crown and places it on peter's head addressing him as charlie she then proclaims that charlie is payment they have corrected his female body and given him a preferred male host and the coven hail peter as king payment hail payment fucking horrifying yeah i liked your sound effects as i was reading because this, you're adding some some uh, this shit is horrifying it doesn't sound scary when you read it i thought it <laughs> sounded scary when i read it before seeing the but, movie maybe because you sped read it, it didn't sound maybe. scary i can't even comprehend what i'm reading when i do it like that yeah that's fair i'm good at reading out loud apparently only a couple ums only a couple stutters Impressive. Maybe you have a talent. You have a talent. Maybe you should be like in broadcasting. Yeah, that's a good idea. All right. So, do we? Is it general thoughts time? Do you like this movie? It's a good movie. It it's is a good. Fucking horrifying ass movie. It has one of my favorite performances of my lifetime, which is Tony Collette in this. Give that woman a retroactive Oscar. Yeah, this is just a clear um, indication that like there are is bias for horror movies yes. in the Oscars. I mean, who cares what the Oscars really? But like, I'm gonna care because Tony Collette is super talented. Gives I think one of the most like gut wrenching performances mm-hmm. I've seen, um, and just not even a nomination. And yeah, it was ridiculous. Is was really upsetting. Um, I think this movie is quite scary, uh, really disturbing. Um, and like really like checks all the boxes for, I think what you would want out of like a, it, it is a, pos- I want to say out of a possession movie, but it's a possession movie that is like, does more than yeah, just be a regular a possession movie. It. And I think that's really cool about a haunted family. You know, it's like insidious could never. That's- oh my God. You're so <laughs> obsessed with shit talking. Insidious. No, I know, but I just do think that's like the, the, the haunted genre or excuse me the possession genre i think of insidious but like this is a almost twist on it in mm-hmm. some ways which i think is really cool but like elevated stop i don't like that term okay but <laughs> this really is like 
The Witch, this... We killed the term elevated horror. Kings of the elevated horror (laughs) genre, subgenre. Uh, we can have, I can have a 15-minute podcast on that term being dumb. I'm not going to do it here. Yeah, but I will say I that's kind of like my favorite it's just a good horror. sub-genre of horror. Okay, fine. So. Anything's elevated horror. The way we talk about it, I, have to, I found good a themes tr- in everything. So. Insidious Everything's elevated themes. horror then. It, it sure <laughs> is. Annabelle's not. <laughs> Annabelle, well, it try, it's, 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 if it's elevated horror, it's disgusting and... That's how I feel about really Malignant, awful. you little bitch. No, oh, anyway. yeah, not nearly as bad. Um, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> anyway, yeah, this movie makes me want to throw up, but in a good way. Yeah, that's the best way to describe it. Yeah. I think the cinematography in this movie is perfect. Very specifically, if this, this counts as cinematography, right? These shots, uh, Annie does miniatures, right? And she's mm-hmm. got all the houses. And the very opening shot of the film is clearly shot to look like a miniature. Yes. And then it becomes their home. And throughout the film, they frame a lot of establishing shots as what her miniatures look like, which is supposed to be symbolic of how the family is being puppeted by this coven and everything's being controlled. Like they're not really in control of their own lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's super clever. Yeah, that's cinematography. That's using the camera work to tell a story, right? Like, yeah. And I think this movie is a master of that. I also just think that, like, the lighting, the camera angles and movements, all of that is just so, like, expertly done yeah. and deliberate. Ari Aster is really talented. I read before, like, they started doing anything, he'd already written out his shot list. Oh, I gotcha. He's yeah. <laughs> like very deliberate. I'm trying to think. There's a lot of directors who are really different about that. And I'm, I can't remember. There's like a Scorsese and Spielberg are like very different. One like writes out everything and the other like shows up and like blocks on on that day. I think Spielberg's the block stay off. That like tracks for he me. He is like one of the – and that, that's something about Spielberg if you don't know. He um, – is the best at moving the camera and blocking people. Like some people are really good at blocking people. Some people are really good at moving the camera. He is like apparently supposedly like the master of combining the two. And I think that's cool. Sorry. Random fact, but, um, cool. Yes. Uh, well, this man this, had all yes. his shots right now. And I think Ari Aster did a good job of both these in this movie as well. Yeah. Blocking and movement. Um, sorry, derailed. Uh, yeah, this movie is hard to watch in mm-hmm. a lot of ways i think it's like very upsetting and oh sorry the tony collette being uh, giving a performance uh, the, her scream cry when she finds about charlie's oh, death is God. like you almost want to like cover your ears it is so upsetting and i think and it's real something i really love about that scene actually is not tony collette it's actually that we see it from the lens of peter, peter. Right, yeah um we you know when he um when she finds the body, it's just showing Peter in bed and his face is just kind of like, not unfazed, but he's not like he ha- he's still in shock and like not fully processing what's going on. And Jesus, it's like really moving to have it shot like that. Yeah, it is. It's very deliberate. Yeah. And, I, and you bring up Peter, and I feel like it's funny we're talking about Tony Collette, and I think it's she does steal the show, but it's, it's Matt Wolf, right? So good from the Naked Brothers Band. It's no, Alex, Alex Wolf. It's, it's Alex Wolf from the Naked Brothers Band. If you remember that show. Side um, note: When I was little, I watched like an episode. Like I did not watch the show, but I watched an episode. And my brother went to my mom and said, "Mom, Hannah's watching a show about naked people," and I had to say, "Mom, it's on Nickelodeon." You were not allowed to watch the show after. No, I just like didn't think it was a good show, so I didn't care. But but that's fact, him, and he is really good in this. And I think like it's he's fucking crushing. You kind of forget how good he is because Tony Collette is just insane. I don't know. I think Ooh, I, just I thought of something. Both. Tony Collette in this, or Tony Collette in Knives Out, because <laughs> she's also so good in that. This you're famous. <laughs> I love her vocal fry in that. She's so good she's at that. Like in a complete one eighty. Um, She's really talented. We love her. Yeah, I, I do love Tony. That's Matt's celeb Tony, crush. Tony, come on the pod. Yeah, that's that's definitely a celeb crush. Yeah. <laughs> um, Something right. else that I love about this movie is just like the eye for details, especially when it comes to like foreshadowing. When you rewatch this movie, there are so many small details that you can see very early on that 
things are awry or that people like in the community might know what's going on. Um, like right in the funeral scene in the very beginning at uh, Grandma's funeral, people are looking at Charlie kind of weird. Yep. And that guy shows up at the end as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like in the very beginning again, you kind of can see someone like watching Charlie at school. Um, they're trying to think what else. Oh, um, there is like the first time that the pole is shown when they're driving down the road before the oh, they party. They the symbol. They kind of yeah. show the pole, the telephone pole. How about everything about like the mom's family all being messed up? Like her, her brother took his own life. So and say messed up. Said like say mom was trying to put Ill. people in him. Well, ma- mom I think was it trying goes to twofold, right? Yes. It's like you can interpret it as they had a legitimate mental illness, or you can interpret it as mom, mom was trying was to put a demon trying in him. to put a demon in her husband and her son because both of them were diagnosed with having hallucinations. Yeah, brother was a uh, DED. I thought they said no. Or DID, mom DID, is I mean. DID. Oh no, mom had DID. You're right. Sorry. Which is dissociative identity disorder for anyone unaware, and. Um, the direct quote is, my mom didn't have an easy life. She had DID, which became extreme at the end. And my father died when I was a baby from starvation because he had psychotic depression and he starved himself. And there's my brother. My older brother had schizophrenia. And when he was 16, he hanged himself in my mother's bedroom. And of course, the suicide note blamed her for putting people inside him. You're right. This does work twofold. It's like they could have mental illness or it could all just be because this coven was trying to put a demon in them and like generational trauma and also hereditary mental illness are big themes in this movie so it's supposed to it's twofold yes very cool yeah this this movie is really good i think it's hard to like rate because though it's like i don't always want to watch it it's like not one i like want to go out of my way to watch sometimes but when i do i i'm i always enjoy myself i kind of think that's a perfect movie if oh, I'm being like straight up. Well, I'll be straight up to say I still like I like Midsummer better. I don't. I like this better. Wow. I decided I actually did a poll on our Instagram asking people which one they like better, and it was a pretty even 50-50 split. Reasonable. But I think I like this one better. I think overall it's for a horror, it certainly scares and disturbs me more. And I I do think that some of the cinematography in Midsummer is just like absolutely 10 out of 10 stunning. Like that movie is beautiful and the use of light is very deliberate. Um, but there's something about this one. I oh, know. I get it. Just I makes think it's me respectable. Feel more. Yeah. It's, I'm surprised. And I'm more engaged, I think oh, for like okay. the runtime. I guess I'm surprised because you were not like born a scary movie lover. And by born, I mean like you didn't like this stuff when you were younger. Um, so like have a movie that is like actually very upsetting to be something you really enjoy surprising based on what I know of your, uh, opinions of other movies, but that's cool. Good for you. I'm happy you like it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What, um, what else do you think this movie did really well? We said cinematography and acting. I love the plot to be honest. Like it's so goofy. Can I, yeah. You mind if I talk about that for a second? Sorry. I asked you, I really like this it is like a twist, like a twist on the normal possession thriller. Like it's about, a, it, it's not about a family being possessed. It's about a coven trying to create the possession. Whoa. But there, the, one of the members is already possessed. Yes, like Charlie say, is payment. Charlie payment. is payment. <laughs> From the moment, Charlie gets turned into payment when she's born, as they say, mom, or Ellen, the grandmother, comes back into her life. And, and mom did not let grandma around peter at all yes. they wanted peter's body and mom went let around and then when charlie's born she's like you know what i'll let you have her. and then they their mom has some figurines of like grandma breastfeeding mm-hmm. charlie and like it's very clear that it was a crazy too close relationship because charlie has been payment since he she was born mm-hmm. I, yeah he I, I, we'll, we'll have to talk about that um and I think that's like a very interesting, like, like I said, twist on this and from a different angle. And that's cool. I think that makes, I haven't seen anything like that before. Yeah. It's a cool plot. What do you think? It is really interesting 
how up until Charlie passes away, you very much just think it's a, like a horror about grief and loss, which it still is. But then <laughs> Charlie dies and it's like, boom. Charlie dying Possession is crazy. and like seance. Charlie, but that, that head scene, the, we had no idea that was coming because they marketed it. Well, like, I know because. Well, they marketed it like Charlie was a big part of the movie. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're 30 minutes in or whatever and Charlie's her head goes dead. flying off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that part, like I said, then you get right back to the part where Peter just drives home in shock mm-hmm. and they shoot all of it like from his facing his eyes. Right, like facing mm-hmm. him, and he gets in bed and just sits over with his eyes open all night. And then, like, the sun comes up, and you hear mom go to the car and find the body, but you still stay with mm-hmm. Peter the whole time. Crazy. This is a wild movie. I like feel like it's hard to talk about, though. Yeah, that's I'm our really job. struggling to talk about it. Actually, every time you ask me a question, I'm like, oh, duh. <laughs> like, I don't know what to say. Well, we're, I'm, I'm gonna, we'll have a lot to say in themes. So, when we get there. Is there, yeah, I feel like I kind of want to just go. No, let's do. Fa- we're gonna do so favorite scenes. Tied to like the things that I like about this movie will fall under the discussion of themes. Um, so you know, I'm gonna kind of come back to some of those wanna, things. But yeah, I can talk about favorite scene, even though I don't. I did not think about that okay. ahead of time because I never do. I know my favorite. Yeah, scene. go for it. I always know my favorite scene, even though I didn't think about it either. Um. Favorite shot in the movie is probably mom's decapitated body floating into the treehouse because that's the one that is, that's the one that's burned into my brain that like I think about that scares me and favorite scenes, the ending when that weird melody is playing as Peter climbs and now Peter, Charlie climb into the treehouse where there's two decapitated bodies praying to Charlie's head and there's all these naked people standing around and it's, and then when they finally do the hail payment chant, it keeps pulling out, right? The shot keeps it, – it's like a medium to like a really far away to even further far away to really show that this treehouse is a dollhouse. Like it's a miniature house because mm-hmm. everything has now been put in place. And they show like shots of like payment now's face just like looking kind of confused. And it just all comes together in a way that's like, holy shit, what did I just watch? That like last shot of Alex Wolf as it's incredible. Payment. Yeah. Yeah. With the beat up nose and mm-hmm. the crown on. I want to be that for Halloween so bad. I've seen that. I've seen girls I do really that before. I really want to do that. You have to like get makeup uh, yeah. to give yourself a black eye. I really want to do that or I'll be Charlie who scares the absolute living shit no, out of No, Charlie would be a dumb one. And you're the pole. And I'm the pole? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're goofy. Indie couples but costume. That, that, yeah, that's my favorite. Is that your favorite scene? I mean, I would say the end is so certainly where I feel the most disturbed honestly from Tony like kind of like hiding in the rafters and oh like, like crawling along the walls yeah that's one of the scariest scenes in the movie that scares the fuck and then banging out of your me. head on the um that yeah absolutely insanely scary and I have actually been thinking about that a lot in the middle of the night whenever I go to pee I like there's a certain area of our ceiling that I keep a vigilant watch because I am afraid that there's a See, lady up there. Look. Second favorite scene, when Peter gets into the attic and you just start to hear like the little no. at first. And you're like, what is that noise? And then so he looks scary. up and it's just his mom decapitating herself with piano wire and like speeding up. That is one of the, like, that's another shot burned in my brain that just, it's so scary to see. And they it's leave so enough, disturbing. they leave enough off screen to like let your imagination do enough of it but just like her hands just like moving really fast like cutting her own head off is really upsetting and something i never thought i would see yeah i didn't need to see it no that's what makes it good and that's though. why i didn't look oh. <laughs> um i guess if i'm not gonna say the ending i would say from charlie being decapitated to tony Colette finding the body and then that, seeing yeah. her on the floor. Screaming. Just masterful filmmaking from a, someone who's really good at what he does. I think it just like is extremely emotional and it shows how grief is affecting both of them. Both Peter, who's in shock and can't really process it yet, and then Tony Collette, or mom, yeah. who is obviously grieving the loss of her child and like 
cannot believe that this is real and would rather dad who just shuts it all out yeah like tony's like i'd i'd literally rather be dead than have a deceased child and then dad is like not present at all because that's how men are in horror movies (laughs) (laughs) well that's part of theming so let's talk about theme now yeah grief and loss let's agree first there's a lot of themes yeah I think grief, you just hit the nail on the head, is that everyone processes differently. Mm-hmm. And in my description, it's that as well. Mom blames Peter and becomes resentful towards her son and family. Dad tries to just act like nothing happened and act normal. And Peter becomes very depressed and just drifts through life, like, uninterested in the things around him. Yeah, like, there's a scene of him smoking weed with friends at school, and they're all talking, and he's just kind of like, he's there, he's doing the marijuanas, Mm -hmm. and he is just, like, kind of sullen and not speaking. And it also shows he has a lot of, like, he starts having panic attacks um, in that scene where he's smoking the weed, but then there's one later in the movie as well that's just kind of showing, like, these feelings of anxiety that are hitting him as well. Yeah. Which, yeah, so you kind of get the whole, I mean, the whole range. Yeah. yeah. And, like, p- different people's reactions. Mom goes and even far enough to then try to fix her family's relationships in, like, ways that aren't helpful at all. I right? mean, she literally goes to the point of having a seance because she wants to be able to communicate with her yep. deceased child. And that is pretty severe inability to accept. Yep. I also want to say there are a ton of themes in this movie. So if we miss any of the ones that you're thinking, sorry, leave a comment. Yeah. Because we're going to try to touch on what we can. We can only get so deep with so much. Yeah. Let's talk about the big one, the name of the movie. Hereditary mental illness. Yes. And also tied into that generational trauma. I think that's the big one. But go give me, enlighten me. Well, obviously... Mental illness clearly runs in her family. Um, Like I read the quote earlier, her mother, her father, and her brother all have mental health diagnoses. And we can assume that genetically she would also be pre... Well, she would genetically be predisposed to mental health diagnoses as well. I think it's pretty clear um, throughout the film that she has some sort of diagnoses um and i think it's also this concept of like what did i do by having children because i know that i'm predisposing them to that risk as well and we can say payment is the allegory for it can or payment can be the allegory for this mental health yes because by having children like by tony collette having children she is possibly exposing them to her mother who would expose them to the coven or try to get them to be payment's host. But then also if you think about like if they literally had those diagnoses, it's the same. Correct. Yeah, that's a Yeah, it's so both. it works either way. I think yeah, it is interesting cuz the it's not just subtext in this movie like they're noted to have. Yes. Like some kind of But uh, then their diagnoses kind of sound like mom. Maybe it could just be that. I, and I think that's kind of the point. Mm-hmm. Um but we we find out in the movie that like Tony even tells Peter, like, I never wanted you. Yes. And it's so messed up. And she's passing along, like, generational trauma that she has from her mom to him. But it's also she never wanted him and tried to have a miscarriage because she was trying to protect him. Yes. She didn't want payment in his body. She knew subconsciously. Ill. Yes. Or ill or have a demon. Or they're the same thing in this sense. And it's like, but, but. By having him and not wanting him, she then treats him like shit, right? And, like, Mm -hmm. has this bad relationship the way, same way she had a bad relationship with her mom. So another hereditary thing is to pass along this generational trauma, right? Well, I still have more to say, even with, like, the mental illness part. There, when she is at her support group, she says, I am to blame. I am blamed. And I think that those statements kind of serve two different things. Like, I am to blame. Like, she kind of feels like it's her fault for not protecting her family and her children. Which in this case, like, again, with Peter, it could be like, it's my fault for having children. Or it's my fault for not protecting them from my mother, who's harming them. Um, But also, I am blamed because, like, society will blame mothers and family for their children's traumas whether they're related 
or not. So I think that it kind of, it goes with both the mental illness and the familial trauma there, where like she is recognizing that that is something extremely challenging that she's going through. Even when she goes to, like, to your point about, like, the familial trauma, like, when she goes to the support group, it's not really about, like, the current loss of her mother. She's just talking about all the ways her mom fucked her up, and then how she is afraid that she is fucked up and fucking up her kids. That's kind of how I take Mm -hmm. that whole scene. Uh, I think Ari Aster hates his parents. Yeah. I, again, we haven't seen Bo's Afraid, but I've heard there are similar themings mm-hmm. in that. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I don't think he likes his parents very much. No, I don't think <laughs> so either. he clearly had a very bad breakup looking at Midsummer. Yeah, at man's some point. been through it. <laughs> <laughs> um, along with the familial trauma, I think in there is also like mother manipulation and like specifically relationships with your mother. Um, because... I think it's obviously about her relationship with her mother who very much manipulated her over time and then also the ways in which then we see her kind of manipulating her own children specifically thinking about the dinner table scene where she's yelling at peter that scene is it's hard to watch another gut-wrenching because everyone's been through something like that yes. i feel like with a family member with yeah. a, especially with a parent where it's like the parent is just not being the bigger person and clearly picking a fight with their kid because people are human and, and flawed and it like hits a little too close to home for a lot of people. Hmm. And like definitely <laughs> like I'll, I'll be honest, I don't think I, I've had too many situations like that, but like I've seen it mm-hmm. with other people and it really like makes me like want to cringe into myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The specific dialogue from that is don't you ever raise your voice at me, you little shit. After, like, she is antagonizing him. Yeah. She also says, I wish I could shield you from the knowledge that you did what you did. And then she says, I can't accept and I can't forgive because nobody admits anything they've done. So she's very much, like, putting this blame on him, which, like, yeah, he was driving the car. But did he give her the peanuts? Did he tell her to put her head outside? Like, he was just taking her to get help. What did he do wrong? He literally didn't do anything wrong. And obviously, like... She's and grieving, he goes, so well, it's extremely hard. She didn't want to go to the party, Mom. Who made her go? Because Mom forced her to go. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'll also say, since I, I, I said am, that, no, I need to. I was just shouting out my mom because she didn't. You didn't actually do that. If I made it sound like you ever did that, no, you did. You're great. You made it clear. All right. Well, I want to make it. And hi, Mom. She she listens. Hi, Kate. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. You're great. Love you. Thanks for listening. Love you. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like specifically, I wish I could shield you from the knowledge that you did what you did. She's like, I want to protect oh, you, hurts. you fucking did this. I want to go to like, lay you, down. <laughs> you killed your sister, dude. Like, it's so manipulative when he is clearly hurting and struggling yeah. so and much. And he's just not grieving in the way that his mom wants him to grieve. Mm-hmm. And, like, she just doesn't acknowledge the fact that other people can grieve. It's not all about her. Mm-hmm. I, I really, and I want to know if another time I watch it, if I'll side with her more. But in this most recent watch, like, Tony Klett's character I found, like, kind of despicable. In, in some ways, like the way that she treated her son. And I maybe that, that's probably the read you're supposed to get, but it like really like got under my skin. See, I time. have a hard time being like, it's despicable. Like it's not good. You're right. It's you're not right. Despicable. Good parenting, I, I'm being but at the same hyperbolic. time, like she clearly needs um, a prescription and therapy. Yes. And not a seance, not, not, not Jones seance. therapy. <laughs> yeah. I find it, you know, really hard watching characters with like unresolved mental illness and like, because that's what I do for a living and I also have my own like mental health diagnoses. I have like a lot of sympathy towards characters that are going through that, even if they then do really shitty things as a result of that. But like that's the nuance of being a person, baby. Yep. But yeah, she's not parenting very well. And then when she does kind of take a turn where she realizes, like, I feel like she kind of does turn it around where then she's, like, giving a fuck about her kid and wants to protect him later in the movie. But at that point, she's, like, then becomes possessed. So it's kind of too late. R.I.P. Yeah. And I think all this does tie into, like, we said the generational bit of it, where it's like she clearly wasn't treated well by her mom, so she doesn't treat her kids well. And it takes one person to break that. Right. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Peter will will not get the opportunity. Yeah, because he's a demon. Yes. I 
been trying to think about like how her you know how she like almost set him on fire she was trying to she was trying to protect him she almost she tried to yeah if if, if you haven't seen it she sleepwalks and tries to to put paint thinner or she does pour paint thinner on peter and And she wakes up as she's lighting the match she's wakes so yep and do you do you see that as like trying to protect him for what's to come correct she's trying to protect subconsciously trying to protect him from him being and probably herself from the loss and and that's probably what her brother was doing if we read it from the payment perspective is he's protecting himself yeah and that's what dad was doing Mm -hmm. because mom queen lee was psycho lady Mm-hmm. And not in terms of mental health, in terms of resurrecting a demon, <laughs> a demon <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to get her riches, which apparently she did. She, and then she was wearing a, a wedding gown in one of the photos. So she, I don't know if Payman was like her husband sort of too. Like yeah, that's what's very interesting is like Payman is her husband. It's her family. Her She's husband, a, but then also Payman is in her grandchild. She also just had family to try to like get Payman. Yes. Which is another generational trauma thing. Yeah, it's very self-serving. Like, I'm oh only having God. kids and then wanting my kid to have a grandchild for my own, like, benefit. This, this movie's so gross. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So you got another note there about free will. Tell me about yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's one of the other major themes of this movie. And I touched on this a little bit with the Yeah, the, the dollhouse. Um, so, yeah, so Annie makes the, like, miniatures throughout the movie. So she'll make, like, a scene um and one of the scenes being uh, her child getting decapitated uh-huh which she says she's like basically making it to like process she said it's an happening. unbiased view or something of the, yeah she says it's an unbiased view of the accident dad's like what if peter sees this like, what the fuck and she's like it's an unbiased view like why is this mean to peter yeah it is <laughs> he's like girlfriend your son was there like maybe you shouldn't let him yeah. see that um so she really movies, does need some therapy. Sorry. Yeah. From <laughs> day one. But um especially as we get further into the movie. But yeah, I think the way that the dollhouse is like continuously shown and it'll like scenes will transition from the miniatures to the characters. And there will also be like the some of like the B-roll shots or like the setting shots of like far away like looking at the house but that is also a lot of times like supposed to look like the minis or literally are the minis in some points and um that's essentially just showing how like all of these characters are being manipulated by forces outside of themselves they're essentially just dolls in a dollhouse they don't have any agency clearly like we said, Annie's mother set this up long before her death. And, like, no one has any control anymore because of what she's done. I also think you can see that throughout the movie with, like, the cult symbol is on the pole that she's that Charlie's decapitated with. Like, it was always supposed to happen that Charlie would die so the spirit could move into Peter. And then Joan also, like, becomes a part of Annie's life and, like... She, like, infiltrates. Infiltrates her life and Annie thinks this is, like, a safe and helpful person that's helping her through her grief. But again, it's just another manipulation and another way that she doesn't really have control. Mm-hmm. You have more to add to that? Uh, no, I think I think you hit the nail on the head with everything. I, I want to touch on the, the gender theme really quick. I have one thing I want to say about it, mm-hmm. and I think it'll be good. All right, here's my thought. If this entire cult can control this family's life, just to kill their host and do all this work to, to get their demon the proper body, the proper preferred gender, then you can respect people's pronouns. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Oh my God. You can respect people's pronouns. You can you can treat Matthew. people with dignity and respect. And that's all I'm going to say on it. Okay. What do you think, speaking of like a gender analysis, I just said that was the only thing I was going to say on no, it. No, okay. I have more to say than okay. that. Um specifically with like men versus women since payment needs to be in a man's body not not needs prefers they make that very clear no he essentially needs her they wouldn't have killed charlie i i don't see it that way i thought it was a a preference but i don't know okay i guess i think that payment is just that yeah that's just the i don't know it's a demon they're not why did they need to kill charlie because they're doing what their demon wants sounds like he might 
need. I don't know, whatever. Wants, needs, doesn't matter to me. Um, but clearly, like, this cult is seeing, like, the male body as preference over a female body, which, like, that's not new, so cool. Um, but what do you think about the symbolism of... First, the symbolism in general of decapitation in this, because there's, like, several decapitated bodies and the decapitated bird, but then specifically it's only the women that get decapitated besides the bird. Like, do you think that's significant? I don't. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I'm not, well, not something I, like, thought too much about. Um, yeah, I know. I just kind of sprung that on you. I was thinking about that, though. Like, I don't know what to do with that i guess so if you have any thoughts on decapitation is typically seen as like a clean death meanwhile dad gets burned alive that was usually reserved for women right in terms of like execution like witches and witch stuff trials, yep. and even not just witch trials like joan of arc was burned to death like things like mm -hmm. that um heretics i feel like that's like very and like decapitation was more seen as like clean i'm wondering so, if it's like it's like a dignified death. thinking about the source of like identity being in your brain so charlie's head needed to come off kind of thing i i, I don't know. know i'm sorry i don't have anything to add to this one okay i was just wondering if you had thought about it at all i feel like if we think about that more in depth when we do like a reflections episode that would be something interesting to go back and touch yeah. on um, just cause I don't know. And I feel like it has to be significant because there's so many examples of decapitation. Again, the bird. I thought that was just foreshadowing. Yeah. It could just to be foreshadowing. Charlie. But then like, why is grandma's head gone? And why is mom's head gone? Probably because that's what happened to their demon, right? Their God. The... So they're imitating it. It's a form of flattery or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's my read currently. I haven't, I can't come or up with anything. Or is that just how like demon escapes to move into its new host because Tony Collette is possessed and then it leaves her when she's decapitated. Is it payment? That it I never to, even realized if it's payment. I don't know who else would be possessing her. No, that's a good point. That's who she let in. It was Charlie talking as payment. I do yeah. think it's. We're going back in this fascinating that Charlie this entire time has been Payman, especially because Charlie's so weird. Charlie's a little freak. Payman's a little freak. Yeah. But like, <laughs> I, I will don't know. say she really crushed it. Like yeah. Millie Shapiro. She originally was on Broadway in Matilda. And then she did this movie and that's kind of all she's done. And I feel bad because she's clearly extremely talented. Yeah, she's good. Let's get her in something else. Get her back on Broadway. I'd see her. Yeah. Let's go, Queen. All right. You ready to do ratings? Ugh. Oh, is there anything that didn't work? We didn't really cover no. that. I don't know if I need to say anything that didn't work. No. It, it <laughs> won't work for people because it's upsetting. Yeah. And that's reasonable. If that doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. I just like it really confuses me how people could say it's not scary. Like, I hid so much. <laughs> and I screamed many times. All right. Ratings. I go first. Hmm? You want to go first? Me? You want um, me to go first? Yeah. Yeah. I like to cheat off of you. I am going to give this movie an 8.75. <gasps> what? Yeah, Why? it's good. I like it a lot. You can't think of a single bad thing to say. Yeah. I just, it just feel like an 8.75. All right. You want to round up to a nine? This is the first time you've ever done a 0.75. I know. I was feeling very conflicted. 8.5 felt too low. 9 feels too high. It's good. It's not as good as Midsummer. Midsummer's a 10. There's a lot of other horror movies I like better, so it's like hard to put it next to something. It does a lot of things well. It's not for everybody. Um, I think that I with this one, the more I watch it, I enjoy it. Probably about the same, or with something like Midsummer, the more I watch it, the more I like it. So maybe that's part of it. Uh, I feel like the more I've watched this, the more I've liked it. I think it. But makes have you been less fear... scared? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I have not. The first time I saw um, it, it was like earth shattering. Yeah, no, because that's it was just yeah. how I feel still. Um, I feel like I still feel the same level of fear and disgust, which are like 
How I like to oh, feel it after a horror feel movie. Maybe, th- maybe that's um, also why I struggle to give it a higher score is because it is doing its job, but I don't but like it. But it's not it. pleasant. It's not it's pleasant. Not Fine, pleasant. nine. I give it a nine out of ten. You convinced me. And because of that, like, do I find this pleasant? Do I, like, get excited to watch it? Ah, I don't know about that. So that's kind of where I'm conflicted. I'm kind of between a 9 and a 9.5 because I think it's a near-perfect movie. It's just, Have like, you rated everything we watched moves. higher than a 9? I don't know. Midsummer. Oh, no, excuse me. Her, uh, yeah, Midsummer. You probably rated 9.5. Yeah, I really like The Babadook, too, so I feel like I did a 9. I rated, I rated The Babadook under a 9. Huh. Pretty sure. My ratings are always garbaggio. Like right, I'm get, pretty sure. Give it to us. I want to be. It's time to be done. I'm pretty sure every rating I've thought back and been like that was wrong. Like Saul, I think I rated it wrong, which is the <laughs> last one we recorded. But whatever. Um, Depends on the day. Yeah, it does. So today, between a nine and nine point five, I think this is a work of art. Ari Aster is fucked up. You and hates his parents. My man's. And I'm sure is, he's. I'm sure he's in it. Yeah. You don't put this stuff to paper unless. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Plus, you get someone helping you work it out, right? All right, nine point two five. Is that your your final? I don't know. Give okay, an answer. Bye. You have to. You have to give an answer. I'm not. No, I don't. I can't. You have to. Shut the fuck. This is up. a rule. No. You can't. You're just you're ruining the integrity. It's my podcast. podcast. I can do what I want. All right. Hi, I'm Hannah. I'm Matt. Hannah. I'm upset with the ending of this. Thanks for joining. Bye. Thank you for tuning into Horror Hour with the Hannahs. Make sure to listen to future episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or YouTube, and follow for additional content on TikTok or Instagram at Horror Hour with the Hannahs. If you like the podcast, please leave a positive review on your favorite podcasting app. Happy hauntings! Happy hauntings!